Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Friday Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. Doug Maurice and Stephen Means, and we are digging in, Stephen, on what Mark Pantoni had to say when we had interviews last Wednesday. We have worked our way through the entire defensive staff. If you guys missed any of those, you can go back the last three podcasts. We did defensive line linebackers and secondary. Nathan is off today, so Stephen, we've been saving Pantone for this, and there's a lot of strategy stuff that we're going to talk about here, and a lot of strategy that is changing, or at least tweaking, being adjusted because of NIL, and in listening to what Mark Pantone had to say, I thought one of the big things, Stephen, and we have talked about this on Buckeye Talk, it feels like they think what happened with this 2023 recruiting class was a one-time thing, not because the rules are going to change immediately, because, but because they are going to adjust. And the idea of wasted time came up with Mark Pantone and the energy they put into some of these national kids who in the end, at least from Ohio State's viewpoint or the way they talk about it, wound up making their decisions a lot on NIL. And that's just not where Ohio State is competing for recruits at that level right now. The frustration, the the time not well spent, it feels like maybe a one-time blip. And Mark Pantone talked a lot about the idea, and I've talked about Mark with this before. I'm sure you've talked about it with Mark before. Like He keeps saying things like, there's a lot of smart people in college football. We just need to figure this out. And like One of the things is like, are there? Are there a lot of smart people? At least not at the top, not at the organization, not at the structural level, not at the NCAA level. But Mark Pantone speaks as if this continues to be a situation that is not at its final resolution with NIL and how is it, it is administered and how it specifically applies to recruiting. So they're still, they're still in the waves, but at least I think they've grabbed uh, a life preserver at this point, Stephen, they don't feel like they're drowning anymore. And so at the very least, it seems like next year when we talk to Mark Pantone and Ryan Day in December and, Fe- December and February, they will be less frustrated. Mm-hmm. Do you believe that will actually wind up being the case? I think so. At least less frustrated for the reasons they were frustrated this signing day. Because if you put together okay. a bad class, and obviously you're, you're frustrated. But I think that whether it was intentional or not, 2023 taught them some lessons on how to conduct themselves in this new world going forward until the NCAA gets its head out of its butt. Or as you like to say, it's crab hole. 
Yeah. So, I mean, it is, it is an idea here and, and Nathan's off today, but before he went on a little break here, he did put up a story on Thursday morning about Ohio State and NIL and Ohio State believes it is moving toward more of a plan with name, image, and likeness for Ohio State. There's a collective that they are planning to at least, I think, direct people towards. It's the Cohesion Collective and they will, they believe have a more structured way of doing business in NIL with, I think, what they believe will be the proper level of aggression, but also the balance of not breaking rules. And so I do think in the end, as Nathan has written, they're going to wind up doing much more in the world of NIL with current players, but I think they want to be so aggressive in that world, Stephen, that they can push that to recruits. Look Mm -hmm. at how we have this NIL machine that is running aggressively and smoothly. And once you get here, we promise you, you will make money. Maybe it won't be recruiting inducements because by the book, it's not supposed to be recruiting inducements. And the NCAA is adding staff and adding energy to try to monitor that and potentially penalize people for school, you know, if schools and collectives do give direct recruiting inducements. So Ohio State doesn't want to be in that business, but they do want to be more aggressive than they've been. So while they are waiting for people to figure out the final set of rules, they're getting more energized. And I think, Stephen, the combination of they believe they will compete in NIL at a higher level and also spend less time on players they think have NIL first on their list of things they are considering in the recruiting process. The combination of those two things feels like Ohio State should be in a better place. And I know you asked Mark a question about this. The thing I think we all want to be careful about is we certainly are not saying that any player who puts NIL first on his list is wrong. Mm -hmm. How could that be wrong? How could using your skill to acquire money be wrong? I mean, that's, that's, you know, there's a lot of people who love capitalism except when it comes to college sports. And if you're listening, you might be pointing a finger at yourself which is fine, but please realize it, right? Please realize if you are a diehard capitalist but don't want players making money based on their skill and talent. So it's just a decision, Stephen, and it doesn't mean that there still won't be good players out there for Ohio State, but they'll be more prepared to get the guys they're really in contention for, and they'll spend less time chasing guys who maybe were never going to come here with the way Ohio State's going to operate. Yeah, I think there's some significant differences here. And I'm going to use names at this point because if you don't, it gets confusing. You can take a guy like Caleb Downs, where it feels like, and there are people in the program who feel like they won that kid in a situation where NIL does not exist, but it does. That's not a wasted time situation. You did everything you could do in that situation. And it's just, there's this new factor that came into play that ended up having to play tiebreaker. What we're more talking about is the kid where, and they're more talking about is the kid where within the first two or three months of the relationship, it feels like, why are we talking about this so much? That's the type of kid they're, they're going to back off from because what you don't want to do is spend six months building the relationship with that kid where you know that kid's probably not coming here because the first thing on his mind is the money. And I'm not saying that that kid is at fault for doing that. that every kid is allowed to have their own priorities. Ohio State has just decided that they're not going to 
get into a situation again where they spent six, seven, eight months with a kid that it's pretty clear that kid is probably not coming here because that's not where his head is thinking at the moment. And so why waste time there when there's probably a kid in the Midwest or just any other kid that you could have spent that eight months on and ended up maybe actually having a chance to get him, whether you get him or not, you could have gotten further with that kid because you didn't spend all that time with the kids you knew wasn't coming. Yeah, that that is um, time is the most precious resource you have in recruiting. And when time is used effectively, it's trumpeted. Right. Mm -hmm. For instance, one of the things that Ohio State talked about a lot in the 2017 recruiting class was Josh Myers, an Ohio kid, telling Ohio State, I'm good. Don't spend any more time on me. And then Greg Studrawa could go all in on going to California and wooing Wyatt Davis. And the result is they got both guys. Why? Because they didn't have to spend. They could double up. They could take the Josh Myers time and apply mm -hmm. it to Wyatt Davis. And Josh Myers not only committed to Ohio State, but he helped them get another really good player. That's time well spent. The opposite is true. There are times when you can spend trips, right? There's, there's, there's certain windows of recruiting. There's certain mm -hmm. numbers of visits you can have kids come in for. So you can offer visits. You can go make a trip to somebody in a recruiting window, and you're flying halfway across the country for a kid who it turns out you're we're never really going to get and you're flying over three other kids who might mm -hmm. be lower rated but if you understand where kids are with their deficient decision making process you actually have a much better chance of of converting that time into a recruit so one of the things that now is something that Mark Pantoni talked directly about and I find very interesting because I find it very encouraging, but as anything, it's a balance, is recruiting more Ohio kids. And we'll get to that next on Buckeye Talk. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. All right, Doug Lamarie is back with Stephen Means. I know Stephen's already texted about this this morning. I'm going to send some texts out. If you want to be a tech subscriber, you get info, research we do for the pod, things we learn Along the way, maybe it's mentioned here, maybe it's not, but it's a little bonus in your pocket, 614-350-3315. If you want to be a tech subscriber there, you get a two-week free trial. Stephen, I just double-checked again. We've done these numbers many times before. The number of Ohio recruits in Ohio State's classes. So here's we, see, we all see the trend. So I went back to 2010, mm -hmm. which was the last full – Jim Trestle class before stuff got sideways because that 2011 cl uh, class 
Jim Trestle laid the groundwork. There was like a kid or two who dropped out once Jim Trestle was forced to resign. Luke Fickle kind of pieced it back together. And then the 2012 class, there's a lot of Luke Fickle and Urban Meyer dropping some guys in on top right when he got hired. And then 2013 is all Urban Meyer. So here's Ohio kids. Starting in 2010, 10 of 18. 2011, 13 of 22. 2012, 16 of 25. That is the fickle class with the little Urban on top. 2013, 10 of 23. Now here comes Urban. Now this is the Mm -hmm. Urban stuff. 2014, 9 of 23. 2015, 12 of 26. 2016, 9 of 24. 2017, and here we go. 6 of 21. 2018, 5 of 26. 2019, 5 of 17. 2020, 8 of 25. 2021, 6 of 24. 2022, 6 of 21. 2023, 7 of 20, Stephen. So we went from a world where between 2010 and 2015, Ohio State had double-digit Ohio kids, five out of six classes, and the other class they had nine, to a world where they have not had double-digit Ohio kids in a class since 2016. And now they're more, it's like not quite halved, but it's 60% maybe of what it once was, right? In 2011, they had 13. In 2022 and 23 combined, they had 13. Mark Pantone spent a lot of time last Wednesday talking about we're going to recruit Ohio first. That's our priority. And certainly implying that they're going to recruit Ohio harder, more aggressively. And I, I read it as bringing in more Ohio kids. Mm-hmm. First of all, do you think that will actually happen in this NIL world? I do. Partially because of NIL, but partially because Ohio's gotten an uptick again in talent, especially in this 24 class where there's nine guys, I believe eight, seven guys, I believe, in the top 200, and then another you know, three guys in the top 300. There's enough Ohio, there's enough guys that where if this kid lived in, Georgia, you Ohio State would still be recruiting them, right? It's not just because they're from Ohio. Ohio's, Ohio State's going to recruit them. So it's the caliber of player that's now in your backyard that maybe wasn't in your backyard in 2017 at the same caliber of level in comparison to, like, I don't know, go get Chase Young, go get Jeff Okuda, you know, go get those types of guys, go get J.K. Dobbins. But then also NIL, has, you know, as we talked about to begin with, when we're talking about the kids who probably have NIL first on their mind, we're talking about national kids. We're talking about kids who live in the SEC, kids who live out West, kids who live in the Southwest. That's less likely to consistently be a case with Midwest kids right now, at least from you know their, their standpoint. We'll see if that begins to change, but that's less of a problem right now. But then also those kids are, if you're from Ohio, you're probably less likely to demand to see playing time right away. You're okay with – Mark Pantone even said this. They're they're okay with the development, even if it takes a couple of years to get on the field. You think about a guy like Reed Carrico, former top 100 recruit. If that kid was from Georgia with that exact same athletic profile, he probably is not still on this roster because top 100 recruit is not trying to potentially have to wait four years before he gets on the field. But because he's from Ohio, he probably is a little – more patient to get on the field and, and wait his turn a little bit more. So it's all those things combined. NIL probably just gave it the push that it probably needed at this point to, because Ryan Day was always going to have to live in a world that was probably in the middle of where Tressel was in that extreme versus the extreme that Urban Meyer was. NIL probably just gave him that push to be a little bit more like that. 
So I like this idea. I feel like I have been espousing this idea for a long time (laughs) of like fill in your roster, fill in the middle and bottom of your roster with kids who grew up wanting to be Buckeyes. And I think that's a good thing. It also can be a very dangerous dance because you know who's really good? Chase Young. You know who's really good? Emeka Buka. Yeah. You know, you know who's really good? CJ Stroud. Those guys aren't from Ohio. So you can't stop there. But I do think more of an Ohio heart to the roster is not a bad thing. And the thing that Mark Pantoni said, and I and I thought you you had a, a very interesting exchange with Mark Pantoni about this. I, I find the whole idea fascinating. The idea of over evaluation. And that players who are closer to Ohio State's campus and therefore can get to more camps and perhaps, and you asked this directly, get to camps earlier, actually maybe are hurt by that mm-hmm. process. And it, it to me, it reminds me a lot of the NFL and NBA drafts where it feels like sometimes you're better off going and leaving college while the pros still have some questions about you rather than giving them one more year of film for them to nitpick everything you aren't great at. You know, in my example, it always like James Laurinaitis fell to early in the second round because he played four years of college football. And I felt like by the end, people were like, well, I don't know about that. And it's like, you know what? Just go, just go and get out of here. And they'll be, and then they only focus on the good over evaluation, Stephen. Fascinating to me. And Mark Pantone's awareness of it and trying to make sure in the future they don't do it just as fascinating. What do you think about this entire idea? Because you and Mark were talking about it. Yeah, I think it is very, it's a very astute point that maybe we didn't think about because you always think about, oh, Jack Sawyer is from Columbus and he committed so early. Now he's here all the time. You don't have to worry about him going all over the place because he's 15 minutes away from everything he could possibly need. Sunday Styles, the exact same way. Uh, CJ Hicks, even though it's maybe an hour longer because he's from Dayton, but the same concept. Paris Johnson, same concept. You don't think, but that's for five star recruits. That's where it benefits Ohio State. You think about a guy like, like a Jermaine Matthews, right? Who wasn't necessarily the type of recruit he is when he's actually getting here, top 50 recruit. And so maybe the first time he shows up here, the exact quote that put Mark Pantone used, I'll start with that. My biggest worry for Ohio is that they come here at the end of their sophomore year, going into their junior year, so they're still 15 years old. Their bodies haven't developed. Say they run a bad 40 time. Well, that 40 time may always be placed on that kid's head for no fault of their own. They were just young, underdeveloped, and not strong enough yet, where you wish you could have had them after their junior year. Now, will they be patient enough to come, or is it going to be too late in the process? The too late in the process thing hasn't happened yet, despite but, – but the, the, the patient aspect of it has happened at times where kids do get frustrated. Jermaine Matthews was frustrated that he didn't get an offer yet, and that's why he had announced last summer, I'm not camping anywhere. These are my offers. I've got Cincinnati. I've got some low-level power fives. I'm sticking with that. I'm tired of waiting on Ohio State. And so Tim Walton had to convince him to do that stuff. There's plenty of Jermaine Matthews stories, even in his 2024 class. Another example of that is probably like a Luke Hamilton or you know, pretty much any offensive lineman at this point. Because you see them so much, but you don't necessarily see them when they're at the peak of their abilities as a high school you always remember if a kid, if a wide receiver ran a four six or a four seven when they were fifteen, that's your base. It's almost like your first impression 
always sticks with you. While you take a kid like a Brandon Ennis, he only came to Ohio once to camp. And that was, you know, he came as a sophomore too, but he was already on the five-star level. And so you get a different first impression of him than you would maybe of a Jaden Ballard. So there's this fine line with the way Ohio State's had to recruit Ohio. You get the Luke Montgomery's, the C.J. Hicks's, the Jack Sawyer's, the Paris Johnson's, who you lock in early, and then you maybe come around to some other Ohio guys, but because that means you're probably over-evaluating them. And as you over-evaluating them, sometimes they do turn into the top 50 recruit. But sometimes they maybe stick at maybe 122 or 177, and they get so sick of waiting on you that, you know what, I'm going to go to Michigan, or I'm going to go to Penn State, or I'm going to go here, I'm going to go there. And so that's when you lose some of those kids. Now, sometimes it's kids they wouldn't take anyway, but when it is a kid you take, those start to pile up, and they can come back to bite you in the butt. So I will say the way Ohio State goes after players affects how I view them when they get here. And it is the continuing discussion of doing things from strength yeah. versus weakness. So I'm going to use an example here that wound up working out for Ohio State, but not by their plan. So in the 2020 recruiting class, they went after Bijan Robinson as the number one running back in the country. And they went hard after him and they thought they were going to get him. And they didn't. And... Okay, stuff happens. But they also went after Jalen Knighton, who was a Florida kid who was ranked as the number 106 overall player and the number 10 running back in that class. And I think they thought they were going to get him. And for a Mm -hmm. while, I think they thought they were going to get both. And then at least they thought they were going to get one. So they didn't get Knighton. And now all of a sudden, they're down to plan C in that room. And they wound up coming all the way down to a guy named Mayan Williams, who was ranked as the number 45 running back and number 627 overall player in that class. So Knighton's 106, Mayan Williams is 627. So they have to flip Mayan Williams from Iowa State to get him to come to Ohio State at that point. And we've now covered this. Tony Alford has talked about this. Mayan Williams is kind of, I think, a little bit ticked off about it. It's like, why Mm -hmm. did this take so long? But in the end, it worked out for Ohio State. Jalen Knighton in three years at Miami ran for like 1,000 yards total in three years. And now after this season, transferred to SMU. So Jalen Knighton saying no to Ohio State back then probably led Ohio State to a better place. That they wound up with Mayan Williams instead of Jalen Knighton. But guess what Tony Alford did? in that recruiting cycle. Spent a lot of time trying to recruit B. John Robinson mm-hmm. and Jalen Knighton. And Mayan Williams at the end easily could have told them, see ya, Matt Campbell loves me. I'm going to go be the next Brees Hall. I'm not coming to nope. the heck. Get, get out of here, Ohio State. They got lucky. But if you are saying, so then when Mayan Williams comes here and I'm like, I don't know. Mayan Williams, he's ranked in the 600s. They went to him only after they missed on their first options, multiple first options. And then I'm like, if they didn't, it wasn't, it wasn't their plan to get this guy. How, why would anyone be excited about this? So if you're telling me, Steven, the new plan is the Jalen Knight. Now listen, still go after Bijan. Bijan. Yes. Still go after Bijan, but don't mess with the Jalen Knightons of the world with like a kid who's ranked around a hundred in Florida. I'm not saying you went to Miami because, but like in that, uh, Go get Mayan Williams. And now Mark Pantone is saying, maybe we have to be willing to develop guys more once they get here. That Mark Pantone is saying, hey, Mm -hmm. maybe this player right now, he's not as good. He knows it. We know it. He's not as good. Mayan Williams right now is not as good as Jalen Knighton. 
But if we get him here, he wants to be here. He's not going to leave. And we believe in his work ethic and we believe in our development skills. We will develop him in the end into a better player than what that other guy would be, or at least as good. And we're not going to waste time trying to chase this guy who in the end very likely isn't going to come here. That's an example to me, Stephen, where in 2020, they kind of lucked into that because the Mm -hmm. player said no. Maybe they need to be more first thought with that of, hey, we we talked to Jalen Knighton. It didn't, and I'm not saying anything against Jalen Knighton. It's just an example. We talked to a Jalen Knighton type player, a, a guy ranked around 100 who's a national recruit. It just doesn't feel like, let's go get this guy before Iowa State gets his commitment and get all in on him and start that developmental process. That's one of the ways I'm thinking about this. And it, but but never stop trying for Bijans because they can't stop trying for Bijans. But go from Bijan to Mayan, skip the Jalen Knighton step. That to me is an example in my head of how I think this could look in the future for Ohio State and still be a way for this team to win and bring in players who will have successful, helpful careers here. I think that's a perfect example right there because Mayan Williams could have said no. He could have been frustrated with Ohio State. And because the way you just pointed that out, we even said it at the time. Mayan Williams is like plan D here, guys, because they didn't get Bijan. They thought they had Bijan, and then he changed his mind last minute and decided to go with Texas. They thought they had Jalen Knight, and they thought they had Kendall Milton. That's just the three people. He's playing like D, E, or F. If we can see that, that kid can see it too. And nobody wants to feel like they're option number four or five. Everybody wants to feel like they were option one, even if they know they're option two. So, and with these Ohio kids, they get frustrated. And you know who can take advantage? In that situation, Iowa State took advantage of it. But you know who can actually take advantage of it? Michigan. And then they can use that, hey, we hate Ohio State too. Come here and then beat them. Come come to Ohio, come over to Michigan and beat them. Penn State can use that as a, as a recruiting tool against you now. And so I, I agree with that. And you know who's going to start using it? Wisconsin. Mi- yeah, you Wisconsin. don't think Luke Fickle's going to do work in Ohio now? Oh, yeah. You have Luke Fickle, Marcus Freeman, and Mel Tucker – are the head coaches of three competitors of Ohio State in the Midwest who all have very, very strong Ohio connections because they're all from Ohio and they all have Ohio State affiliations. You don't think Mel Tucker, Mm -hmm. Marcus Freeman, and Luke Fickle are waiting for any misstep. So they they cannot fall back on the assumption of that these Ohio kids are always going to be there for them, maybe that the way they could in the past because Mm -hmm. the the game – has gotten more competitive in your own backyard. And I think rankings are an interesting thing. I was having a conversation with somebody from Ohio State about, because he was just like, who, who comes up with these rankings? There's a lot that goes into these rankings, which also shapes some of our narrative here. What if Mayan Williams had been the second choice from the get-go? So instead of having to wait till you know the Penn State game to get that, what if they had locked in? They knew they were, they were going to try to take two guys in that 2020 class if they could. They've been trying to two, do the two thing for a while now. They've only done it once. But what if they had locked in on Mayan Williams in March? Because he'd have been there. I mean, he committed to Iowa State. He'd have been there. Would he still have been in the 600s with the rankings? Because a, part, a big part of the rankings is who are your offers, who you're committed yes. to, especially with these skill position guys. Jermaine Matthews was a three-star. 
when he first got that Ohio State offer. He commits, and then obviously he has the good, the big time senior year. All of that, he's a top fifty recruit. What if he'd have said no, or what if Ohio State would have? What if he'd have left that day and he hadn't have been a dude to that level, and Ohio State still wouldn't have been ready to offer him, and he'd have ended up at Cincinnati? He might be two fifty right now, just because that's just how this works out a little bit. So there's the rankings; they matter with context especially for guys who aren't just like universal five stars that everybody thinks so because even if you the composite rankings might have you in one place but then you'll look at all the individual sites and Jermaine Matthews is like 141 one place he's like 27 another place so they're kind of all over the place in those situations so we always have to keep that in mind and I think we have to do that even better going forward because of situations like this because there's going to be some Ohio guys who do get to as it's called the Buckeye bump. You get the, the Ohio State offer. You probably get a bunch of other offers from schools of that of that level or maybe the level right under that because Ohio State is now offered. And that happens all the time. You saw it with guys like Keon Grays, Jackson Smith, the Jigba, Travion Henderson, Kyle McCord to an extent. So we have to always keep that in mind. But, yeah, I do. But also, yes, the the, the whole Wisconsin is now a, play, a player. Michigan State's now a player. Notre Dame's now a player. Michigan's been a player. Penn State's now a player. Uh, Cincinnati will continue to be a player, even if they don't have Luke Fickle. That's like the smart thing they can do is go get the kid, the kid who isn't quite Ohio State level good, but he's a really good player that can put you in a situation where, you know, you're, and especially now if they're a power five program, they got, they now have that on their back as well. So all those factors, Ohio State has to pay a little bit more attention to the kid who is ranked 178 and 222 than they did maybe for the past decade when we're Ohio State, we're only going to take the best, the best, the best Ohio has to offer, and then we're going to go get Chase Young, Jeff Okuda, and J.K. Dobbins. And listen, there's always good players from Ohio who are under the radar, underrated, or underdeveloped in high school who then go somewhere that's not Ohio State and then are good. And it's not just like name that guy who didn't go to Ohio State who then turned out to be good. I could also say like, why did Jason Kelsey and Travis Kelsey both go from Cleveland to Cincinnati and they went right past Columbus? Like what? I actually, I, I don't know the answer to that. They were, uh, they were lower rated recruits, like a guy like Kobe Bryant, who's brought, you know, his brother Christian plays at Ohio state. Luke Fickle gets yeah. him to go down to Cincinnati out of Glenville. He's a lower rated guy, but I think you have to be aware. You have to be on the lookout for some of these guys. And I think some of it's uh, the way you think about it. And if Ryan day and Mark Pantone tell each of the positional coaches, okay, one of your assignments in this recruiting class is to go Go find a golden Ohio nugget. We want you to find a kid that you see something in him, whether it is his athleticism, he's an inch or two too short, but he's super fast and quick, whether he's a bowling ball and super strong, whether he's long and skinny and we <coughs> excuse me, got to put weight on him, whether he's got a super smart football mind and we want to develop that. But but that's a task. It's not a bonus. It's not stumbling on it. It's a goal. It's a priority. And it doesn't mean we're going to take every single one of them. But if in each class of the nine position groups, they're on this, they're on a search for the golden Ohio state nugget, that's nine kids. Now you're going to take the top kids in the, in in the class anyway, but they're really going to dig in on a guy like that. And then we, we want to take some of them. We're, we're, I guarantee we're going to take some of them guys. So make a case for your guy. And we want to find those guys. We want to find the next Kobe Bryant, right? We want to find the next mm-hmm. Mayan Williams and get in on them. That's just a way of thinking. That's a way of going about it. 
that's a way you, that's a rearranging your priorities. And I do think there's a way that that can work and that they can never stop going after Chase Young and J.K. Dobbins and Bijan Robinson, and especially at the skill position, stuff like that come out. They can't stop that. But all of a sudden, if they decide, and again, what are rankings? I mean, we're not, we're not going to say that rankings, I mean, rankings still have value for sure. And their off, they're offer mm-hmm. list does obviously matter, as you said, Stephen. But if all of a sudden they value a kid in the 500s from Ohio the same way they value a kid in the 100s nationally, right? If you're top 50 and you have an inkling of an interest in Ohio State, we're coming after you. Okay. And if your parents used to live in Ohio and they got transferred for a job, we're coming after you. But Mm. anybody else, if you're not top 50 and you're national and there's no connection, like we're probably not going to go there. We're going to go hard for a kid in Ohio in the 500s with purpose, with purpose. Not that recruiting class a couple years ago where they kind of had some holes on the offensive line and they scooped up a bunch of offensive yeah. linemen in the 500s. That's not purpose. That's not a plan. As long as it's your plan, I can get behind it. So I can look at, a, at an Ohio State taking a kid from Ohio. It's the exact same ranking. But the way they take him changes my view of the player and of whether their recruiting class is a success. So Ohio State, go do what you got to do. I promise on Buckeye Talk, we'll take it all into, into context. If your recruiting class is now eighth in the country instead of third, but we can see purpose, we can see planning, we can see very little wasted effort, we can see prioritizing guys for a certain pl- what you know reason, we can see a developmental strategy. I'm here for it, Stephen. This has been an excellent football program. It's not like it's broken. But if this is a if this is a little bit of a turn, and I have a number I'm going to give us here in a second, if this is a little bit of a turn, at least while NIL is still like this, I don't see, I really don't see a downside to it. Like, right? I mean, I, it, it's great to no. go have a 2017 class where you get Chase Young and Jeff Okuda and J.K. Dobbins and Baron Browning, and you get all the best players in Texas. Texas is a mess. And Larry Johnson works some magic with the DMV kid because Larry John, like Chase Young is the perfect Larry Johnson recruit because number one, Larry Johnson's DMV, and that's where Chase yep. Young's from. And number two, Chase Young is a technician who wants to learn how to play the position, and Larry Johnson's a technician. So that's a little bit of lightning in a bottle. Always be on the lookout for that. But I'm I'm here for it, Stephen. Are we? Are you? What do you think? Even with that 2017 class, it was a low number of Ohio guys, only six of them. But it's still the most of any state in that recruiting class. I, I agree with the the point. I was going to make that point. The, the 2020 offensive line recruiting class. That's not purpose. That's oversaturation because you're trying to correct the numbers in a room, and you can always. And that's a mindset. It, it, it looks like it's a mindset of oh, we can always just go pull some Ohio guys if we need to get our numbers right. And then you well, you got your numbers right, but you don't actually have playable guys because. Only one of those guys is hitting, and we're actually not sure if he's a complete hit because he still hasn't started yet in Josh Pryor, who I'm including in this because he he said Ohio, but also Midwest. That all kind of correlates because Ohio has been the team of the Midwest for the past 20-plus years at this point. I love I like this plan because – I'm trying to figure out how to say this here. What it does is, going back to that word, over-evaluation – over it's you're no longer over evaluating because when I think of over evaluating, it's like, Oh, we've seen this kid already. What more do you want me to see from him? I'm going to go look at this guy. 
That's what ends up happening a lot of times because you know this. Kid, I'm, I'm glad he brought up the 40 time point because if a kid is slow the first time you see him, he's probably still slow to you the third, fourth, fifth time you see him. And you probably look at him a little bit differently. Now, if you're going in with that purpose of go find me that Ohio kid that isn't really on anybody's radar at all. And right now he's in the 500s, but you see something in him and maybe he ends up climbing up the rankings because of it, or maybe he doesn't climb up the rankings. It's, it's, Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But go find me that kid. It allows you to use that over-evaluation for a purpose. They're spending, they spend a lot of their time traveling around to different high schools, building relationships with high school coaches, you know, doing the recruiting, you know, walking the beat for assistant coaches as, as a, a better way to say it. But now when these kids do come to three, four, five camps in a row in the summer, and they're doing that for two or three summers in a row, now you know what you're looking for. You're looking for a special trait, even if everything else is still kind of ugly right now. So it doesn't feel like these Ohio kids have wasted their time either when they come to these camps. Cause there's a chance that you might be that Jermaine Matthews. There's a chance that you might be that Jair Brown or, you know, that Mayan Williams next time around. But if every cycle, let's just outside of wide receiver, cause Brian Hartline can go pick whoever he wants. So I'll, I'll take a, of the linebacker, you go chase the Baron Brownings of the world, and maybe you get a Baron Browning. But for every Baron Browning, there's a Tommy Eichenberg. I mean, that's a that seems like a quality situation to me because Baron Browning was quality but never maximized. Tommy Eichenberg has very much outplayed his expectations here, so that's a win-win in my book. Yeah, I I, I think it can, I think it can really work. I I, I just really think it can work. I'm just. Again, we don't you don't want to cherry pick necessarily um, every example of a guy that they didn't take that that turned out to be good, but I will. <laughs> I'm just well, looking like yeah. I'm just trying to go through and and find guys who maybe could fit. And I don't know the ins and outs. Let's look at a guy like Darian Kennard, who was the number eleven overall player in Ohio in the class of 2018, and of Saint Ignatius was the number 314 overall player, the number 22 overall offensive tackle. He goes to Kentucky. He's a multi-year starter at Kentucky, and he's a fifth-round draft pick in the NFL. And he went to Kentucky instead of Ohio State, right? And so what? what is the St. Ignatius kid? And he's an offensive tackle? And, like, I think that the 2017 recruiting class for Ohio State, and we could probably do a greater analysis of this, the 2017 class for Ohio State, I think, is almost the perfect class for Ohio State. And it's a great example of what you can do successfully when you go national with Chase Young mm-hmm. and Jeff Okuda and J.K. Dobbins and Wyatt Davis and an Ohio kid like Josh Myers. And they wind up fueling that 2019 team that's undefeated in the regular season and makes the playoff. 2018, right behind it, I think, is an example of how you can go national and it not work. Because it just it just has not been super impactful. And they both mm-hmm. were ranked number two in the country. And they're both very heavy national. The 17 class, six Ohio kids out of 21. The 18 class, five Ohio kids out of 26. And you look at the, the most impactful kids from the 18 class. Nicholas Petit-Frere, good solid player. Teron Vincent, good solid player. Tyreek's... Um, Smith from Ohio, right? Jeremy Ruckert, solid. Terry, uh, Tommy Togiai, solid. Matthew Jones, Cam Brown. But the best player in that class is Chris Olave. And we all know the mm-hmm. Chris Olave story. Like a lot of the big time dudes at the top didn't end up making a major impact here. 
And along the way, I think we theorized, well, were they blocked by the 17 guys? But then a lot of those 18 guys, when they got opportunities, it didn't really happen. And that, I think, is a cautionary tale a little bit. Like, only 5 out of 26. That is not a lot of Ohio. And so let's like even even when it works and like that's it worked they have to, they got the number two class in the country Steve but they went for national guys and got them but it doesn't guarantee anything and again if Nathan were here he would say well recruiting ranking uh, we get it we get it but they're they matter so I just I'm here for this and here's the other reason why and I've referenced this before that I do think in a lot of ways to me the roster for 20, 2014 Ohio State, that national championship team, to me, is almost like the perfect Ohio State roster because it was a blending of Jim Tressel and Urban Meyer. It was Urban Meyer national guys on top of an Ohio core that was left here by Jim Tressel. So I looked at the 2014 team, the 2019 team that we just referenced, Ryan Day's first year, but it's the team left him by Urban Meyer that makes the playoff, and then the 2022 team. And I looked at PFF and the number of snaps on both sides of the ball, the top 16 players by snaps on both sides of the ball. So the top 32 guys who contributed, how many were from Ohio? The 2014 National Championship team, do you want to guess, Stephen, of the 32 guys I counted, how many were from Ohio? 18. 19. Very good guess. 19 of 32. 2019 team, do you want to guess how many of the 32 were from Ohio? There were probably more players with Ohio ties than actual Ohio players. I'd say like six. Eight. <laughs> Eight of 32. And 2022, how many were there? <sighs> I mean, can we actually count Maya Williams if he only played like three snaps? I'd say four. The that 2022 team, mine Williams played. I mean, we're not talking yeah. about just like the playoff game. We're talking oh, about okay. the whole season. Number uh, snaps the whole season. Yeah, yeah I'll, say, I'll say seven. Nine. So okay. we go from 19. The last time Ohio State won a national championship, 19 of their top 32 guys are from Ohio. 2019, eight. 2022, nine. So the reason I do that is to remind people. Now, listen, you can't be – what you can't be is beholden to Ohio at all costs. Hey, no matter what, doesn't mm-hmm. matter what the talent actually is, half our class is going to be Ohio. You can't do that. But you can prioritize. You can be proactive. You can look. You can search. You can dig out guys. You can give maybe benefit of the doubt. You can realize when you're over-evaluating. You can establish relationships. You cannot slow play. You can do all these things that I think maybe they have not done in recent years. Why? Not because they're bad at recruiting. Because they were going after the very best kids in the country almost at all costs. As we say, always looking for Ohio ties. And I don't want to say ignoring kids in their backyard because that's not fair either. But not prioritizing. Mm-hmm. I think there's a way you can do it. And I think there's a way you can win with it. Now, if there's a dip in Ohio, okay, now you go a little bit more. But when it's pretty good, you look at the 2014 team, the offensive line, the whole offensive line is Ohio guys. Billy Price, Tyler Decker, Justin Bourne, Daryl Baldwin, Pat Elfline. Those are the five guys who played the most snaps of the entire offense. If you're starting offensive line, it's all Ohio. All Ohio. So on some level, and I'm as I even as much as I kind of pound the table at times for more Ohio guys, I can also be dismissive of it. Justin Fry's first recruiting class, I was like, well, I got the Ohio guys who course but it's like well 
you get Austin Cerebell, Josh Padilla, and Luke Montgomery. What if they're all starting for you two years from now? It's like, okay, you built something from Ohio out. I do think supplementing skill is always going to be something you're going to have to do. Ezekiel Elliott, not from Ohio. JT Barrett, a national guy. Jeff Hyerman, a national guy. Michael Thomas, a national guy. Evan Spencer, a Midwest guy with Ohio ties, obviously. And then you get back to guys like Jalen Marshall, Ohio. Devin Smith, Ohio. Nick Vanette, Ohio. Cardale Jones, Ohio. Corey Smith, Ohio. Like these are real Ohio contributors to that national championship team in 2014. And then on the defensive side of the ball, these are the guys, the three guys who led the defense in snaps, Tyvis Powell, Duran Grant, Josh Perry, Ohio, Ohio, mm-hmm. Ohio. Now guess what? Does Joey Bosa help? Yes, he does. National guy with Ohio ties, Darren Lee, Ohio, um, Adolphus Washington, Ohio, Michael Bennett, Ohio, Steve Miller, Ohio. You can just run through the list. You know, Tyquan Lewis, that's a nice three-star developmental get from North Carolina. You still want to do stuff like that. Von Bell and Raekwon McMillan are big national guys there. But they're they're crucial. I don't want to say cherries on top. It's like whipped cream. It's like it's, it's really important toppings. Mm-hmm. But your ice cream scoops are your Ohio guys. So it's just a reminder, Stephen. It's, it's a reminder that you can win with more Ohio players than they have right now. So in a world where Mark Pantone last Wednesday is saying, we think we have to go more Ohio because of NIL. We're going to not over-evaluate. We're going to be committed to development. And maybe we're, we're going to not slow play some of these guys and we're going to go get a few more of them each year. I am just saying this, Stephen, as vociferously as I am, because I don't want any listeners to Buckeye talk to think that means Ohio State's giving up. That means Mm -hmm. that Ohio State is accepting a lower standard for football success, because I think 2014 shows you that it absolutely isn't accepting any lower level of success. And there are ways in which your program, I think, can be stronger, can be more sustainable, can have a and and perhaps be slightly more prepared on the last Saturday in November. I think there can be good things about this. And the way Pantoni talked about it, they are adjusting to current realities, but they are not surrendering. They are attacking in a new way, and I think it can work for them. And I think, especially with that 2014, I think that's a great example because all those Ohio guys you listed, that's a variety of different type of Ohio guys. Adolphus Washington, Jalen Marshall were five-star recruits. So, duh. At the time of their commitments, you're probably like, yeah, you probably should get those guys. Darren Lee was not a five-star recruit. Tyvis Powell, some of these guys were just not – they're not – they're the type of player Ohio State has gotten away from getting on a consistent – but the player where you had – that doesn't show off necessarily your recruiting powers in the sense of building a relationship and landing a guy that makes us all go, boom, wow, look at this guy they pulled off, but more of the evaluator as an assistant goes. That's just as important as can you evaluate talent and have an eye for something that the rest of the country just isn't seeing yet. It was a good mixture of those things. That mixture has gone away because you talked about that 2018 class. They got four of the top five players in Ohio, and they obviously they missed out on Jackson Carmen, but they got the other four. And on Tyreek Smith's the only one of those four who ended up finishing his career at Ohio State. You know, Jalen Gill ended up at Boston College. Uh, Blue uh, Blue Smith ended up at Cincinnati. Dallas Gann ended up at Toledo. 
so it, 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 there's a balance here. You got it's fine to go get the Tyreek Smiths of the world, but even those guys, if they don't pan out, they might transfer too. You got to go get the Darren Lees. You got to go get those lower level guys just as much as you've got to go get the Adolphus Washingtons and the Jalen Marshalls of the world. And they haven't been doing that. So bringing those two worlds together, and I agree, it's not waving a white flag. It's We talk about it all the time from the on-field perspective. Ohio State is an SEC school in the Midwest playing in the Big Ten. And so there's like there's a way they almost have to play football to get on the stage where they can actually be themselves. It's sort of the same thing here with the recruiting situation. They're an SEC school who recruits like an SEC school, but they're not in the SEC, and that's always a factor at play because you're having to convince a player from Florida who's probably never seen snow or never seen 25-degree weathers and say, listen, we're probably going to play our most important games of the year in 25-degree weather, which you probably hate. So – Fine, you can convince the Brandon Innocence to come do that because the wide receivers here are awesome. It's a little harder to convince the linebacker or the offensive lineman to come do that. But you know who you can convince to do that from an offensive line standpoint? The kid like Austin Sarafield or even a little bit down lower on the list, uh, 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 Zen Maholsky to do that because he's already been playing it in his own life. That's not something he has to get used to. So I think that's where your balance is. Ohio State has to constantly find ways to consistently thread that needle of being a playoff program who doesn't live in a playoff environment. And this is another way of them adapting to that in this new reality because of NIL, but then also factors that have always existed since Ohio State became one of the power programs in the country. All right. When we come back, let's talk a little bit more about Mark Pantone, what he's doing right now, how his job description has changed, how the recruiting operation is working. We'll do it next on Buckeye Talk. All right, Stephen. So Mark Pantone's job has evolved. We all know that. He was talking about when he first started in recruiting, it was one or two people mm-hmm. in that department. Now it's 10 or 11. I think we understand that reality. One of the things I don't think we've talked about as much here and that I don't think the average fan understands the reality. So Mark Pantone is basically one of those, this happens like in Major League Baseball a lot, where you're, a, where you're the GM and then you get promoted to like team president or something. And you really still kind of are the GM, but then you usually have a GM who comes in under you that does some of the more like day-to-day kind of stuff. And you're a little bit more of a big picture guy. So some people have like, you you call Mark Pantone, like the general manager of Ohio State football, but he's actually almost above that at this point. And so he did lose his right-hand man, Zach Grant, who came here from Western Kentucky. He was acknowledged as doing a really good job at Western Kentucky, won some personnel awards there came here for a year was here in 2022 and then left to become the mark pantoni of cincinnati so mark pantoni said like his last month has been a little nuts because zach grant was right under him in the personnel department and mark pantoni a is having to pick up some of zach's job and b is trying to hire the next zach and so that's like a really important move it's it's almost the equivalent of losing a position coach right that if pantoni's Mm -hmm. the ryan day of the recruiting department, he kind of lost his number two. Now, one of the people he didn't lose, who's been really important since she got here, and Mark Pantone again shouted her out, is Aaron Dunstan, who is the director of on-campus recruiting and who makes sure the visits to go well when they get here. And if you follow her on Twitter, she builds relationships with families, and you can see why she's re- with players, with their families, why she's really good at her job. Mark Pantone called her a star. She is very important to this entire recruiting operation. But Mark Pantone, it was interesting – Stephen, I thought in describing what he does, there was a time when he was very, very involved when people showed up here. 
right? And I did the story the one time of like the greatest recruiting photo ever when it's Mark Pantone and Joey Bosa and Eli Apple and Ezekiel Elliott and Darren Lee and like all those guys on the sideline and Pantone's with them. And I think that's one of the areas where he's not as involved like in that direct kind of thing. And the one thing that he said he still does, he says most of his job is still watching film. That's how he's like a GM, right? He's still mm-hmm. helping them evaluate what players they should go after in recruiting. He's watching high school film. But he is not as directly involved in the relationships with the recruits, which is something that there was a time when he spent a lot of time on that. But I, I find it interesting always, and we've had this conversation a lot of different ways about Ryan Day. When you're the boss, how do you divide up your time? And I find it interesting that the place where Mark Pantone and Ryan Day have decided that Mark Pantone still makes the most difference is in, is in player evaluation. He's watching high school film to try to figure out what do I see in these kids? And then he is directing assistants to say, okay, you need to come watch this guy. What do you think? Should we go, should we go after this guy? And at a time when, you know, Mark Pantone is good at relationships, but he's also good at film and he's also very organized and he's good at running the department. So how do you use him? When he said, I still watch eight to nine hours of film a day. I was like, what? Wow. They really think that's where they need you the most. Yeah, every time I've I can t- literally every time I've walked into his office, there's been a high school film on the t- table. And he's like having the pause and look at me like, what do you want now? Every single time. It never fails. Multiple times. I, I think the the way he put it was he's gone from working the land to overseeing it, which is it feels like him and Ryan Day are both headed in that direction at the same time. Pantone more because that that department has become has evolved over the past 10 years. He started it. He is the, the the face of why this exists in the first place in college football. And so now it's become a, a department everywhere. And so watching that, well, it feels like the player relationship building for Mark Pantone is equivalent to play calling for Ryan Day. They're both very good at it, but is that the best way to divide up your time if you trust the people that you've put in the place to do that? The problem is Mark Pantone lost his Brian Hartline in Cincinnati. So he has to go find a new Brian Hartline. And I mean, Aaron does, it, it, she is the, she is the busiest person on a game day, not named Ryan Day. I guarantee it. It's the most busy person in Columbus, not named Ryan Day when it comes to college football. So that, so he doesn't have to worry about that part anymore because whether it was Aaron or it was Tory Majors before her, they've done such an excellent job that, Mark Pantone doesn't have to stress himself about that. Now, he does still walk around the field and say hi to people, but he's not organizing every single thing that happens anymore, which gives him more time to evaluate and watch film. Now, whatever Zach Grant was doing, whenever he hires a new guy there, he can give that stuff back to the number two, and there's even more time that Mark Pantone can spend evaluating. And we're talking about evaluating Ohio guys and not over-evaluating, but finding those diamonds in the rough. Imagine if Mark Pantone had an extra six hours a week out of his work week to spend time finding that diamond in a rough. And then he could go to Larry Johnson like, hey, this defensive tackle is very, very – I know he doesn't look the part right now, but there's something there. You should get that kid here. You should get have a camp with him. Hey, this cornerback, Tim, you should really look at this kid. Hey, there's a – I mean, the last time Ohio State won a national title, they had a, a quarterback from Ohio. The last time they won a Heisman Trophy, it was a quarterback from Ohio. So what if he's able to go to Corey Dennis with a quarterback from Ohio? Now, that's a lot, that's a tall task in this situation. But it's on down the list here, these examples of the more time he has to do that, which is always going to be his best skill, even if he has a million other skills, the better for this Ohio State program when it comes to recruiting and evaluating kids and talent acquisition. 
One of the other things Mark Fantoni talked about is work at the transfer portal. They have a guy named Billy Homer, who's a former NFL scout, who was the guy that they have in charge of checking out transfers. So he was saying it was a busy December and January for Billy Homer. I don't have a firm handle on whether he's watching film on guys who have gone into the portal. Like when there's that day when the portal opens in December and Mark Pantone was saying there's 500 guys who go in the portal at once. Or I wonder if Billy Homer like is watching guys like who are, Hey, this backup lineman came in for this school and played one game. And I think he might be good enough that he's going to want to start. And they're pretty deep, whatever. I can wonder if he's like getting a jump on guys, but still, you know, there's a discussion about the recruiting calendar and we can do that in a second. But just a reminder for people that that the portal is its own separate thing. Mark Pantone is still in charge of that. They viewed this 20-person class in the recruiting. They liked the quality of it. It's a little bit smaller than usual. They did get five portal guys, which I think was a little bit of a reaction to that. But then also, again, Mark Pantone is a guy like roster management, making sure the scholarships are spread out the correct way. He was talking about Cade Stover mentioned three guys, Cade Stover, Xavier Johnson, and Tommy Eichenberg staying Mm -hmm. in school. He said those were recruiting wins for us. So I think that also contributed. So when you think about, hey, a 20-person class, all the numbers affect each other, Stephen. There's who they brought into the portal. There's who stayed at Ohio State. And there's this 20-person group of new new high school guys coming in. But Billy Homer's the guy that – I guess that's just the world, right? You've got to have a guy who can monitor transfer talent and let Ohio State know, okay, here's mm-hmm. here's the 15 guys, let's say, that you should at least think about and and contact based on where I think, because like Mark, Mark Pantone said, echoing what Ryan Day has said, it's got to be an upgrade. And he said the worst thing you can do is promise a guy a starting job and then bring him in, and then they don't start, and that causes a problem in the locker room. A lot of culture talk from Mark Pantone, that that's mm-hmm. still where they feel like what is their strength. They don't want to mess with that. So they've got to feel like, they can find guys who are definitive upgrades and get them here without guaranteeing them a starting spot, which again, sounds like it can be a little bit of a needle to thread. I think he's got the most interesting job as college football continues to evolve here, just because the transfer portal, I mean, we get the point of what it is. You go on the portal, you see what your options are. Maybe you go back to where you came from, or maybe you end up at another school, but with a school like Ohio state, because of the way they've attacked the portal, and you just kind of mentioned it out there. You can't promise certain guys jobs because you don't want to mess up the locker room. There's a different type of – with recruiting evaluations, it's like do you see a trait where maybe they can play for you one day? It's that simple. Now, how good they play for you, it becomes a whole different conversation. But the point is you're looking for things in a player that lets you know, can he play for you? Can he eventually be a starter for you? Because they're not offering anybody that they don't feel has that potential, whether they max it out or not. With transfer guys, there is kind of these extra steps here. Because most transfers are transferring because they weren't playing where they were at. So they're probably trying to get somewhere where the route onto the field is not as congested. And they probably are looking for a place where it's like, I can go start there. It's a different conversation when you're talking about a kid who is trying to come compete and maybe he wins a job, maybe he doesn't. So going through that evaluation process, but then also not just the looking at the film, but when you do get them on these visits and having those conversations with them, when do you leave those conversations? How do you feel? 
you know, is there are there guys where it feels like from the outside looking in, you probably should have got that guy here because he's very good or but because of the conversations that we don't know you're having, you didn't get that kid because you can only go as far as, hey, you can only compete for a job. We can't promise you it. While with Justin Fields, when you say you're competing for a job, you're saying it with air quotes because we all know he has the job. NAL stuff is still on his mind. He said they, they talk about it nationally. He said it's hard to have conversations because a lot of schools like don't want to give away their secrets of like what they're really doing. And NIL, he said it's mostly venting. Again, we I think everybody hopes that there's a, a decision that gets to a more coherent place with NIL. Talked a lot about culture. And then in things that can change, on the College Football Survivor Show a couple of weeks ago, Shahan, Jeharaja, and I were talking about the idea of like what could maybe change with signing day. I was saying move signing day back to February I, like move the portal window and do away with spring football. Nobody can early enroll. We no longer do that. We no longer have an expectation where 75% of your recruiting class is going to be in early and kids are going to miss the last semester of high school. Just go back to the way it was. And everybody comes in in June and you can slide the whole calendar back and make it make sense more. Mark Pantoni wasn't asked about that. And I said, no, people aren't going to agree to that because coaches want to get their hands on guys. And even though not that many true freshmen impact the biggest programs, Mark Pantone said he would be up for like a July 1 mm-hmm. signing day. So it moved from the first Wednesday in February to December. He's saying now when you're having these summer visits before a kid's senior year, have a signing day then. So the kids who are truly locked in, who know where they want to go and the schools know they want them, they can sign then so that you lessen a little bit because they're, you know, Ryan Day – that week, like when Ohio State did make the Big Ten championship game, everybody's out recruiting and they're revisiting the guys they think they're about to sign just to lock them down and make sure, sure everything's okay. That, for instance, would be something you would take off the December calendar, Stephen, when it's like, well, you don't have to go visit those guys. They signed in July. You don't have to go visit the sure things, right? I I, they, I think they, you know, the way Mark Pantone said it is a lot of coaches with gray hairs in December because everything happens at once because you have mm-hmm. 500 guys going in the portal when the portal windows open opening you have the first biggest signing day and you have guys and it's only going to get worse when you start having playoff games in mid-December do you think that could happen a July 1 early early signing day I mean, if I'm not mistaken most of these kids don't actually get their official offers until like August or don't even get accepted to August just because of how you know life works and applying for colleges and all that stuff. Sure. Do, maybe there should be an earlier signing day. But also, <laughs> I think most coaches would agree with that because if a kid is signed, then you don't have to worry about somebody trying to flip them. You know, so it's the, er- the earlier you can get a kid signed, the less you have to be worried about. The whole Jermaine Matthews saga of, hey, is somebody trying to flip him from NIL for NIL reasons probably doesn't happen if he is signed in July. Because and so now you can, but what it really does is it, it allows you to continue to move forward. And how many, t- I have a problem with it because then you're two, three, four, five classes ahead. How do you, you can't keep moving the calendar up on stuff because what you really, okay, fine. If you've signed just because of how Ohio State's classes have worked typically where it's basically full heading into August, if you signed 19 of the 23 guys you plan to sign, so you're only focused on four or five guys to close out your class for the next six months. 
that means you're probably in the 23 situation. You're probably more focused on 2024, which means that moves up the, how quickly those kids commit and moves up how quickly those kids sign. And then you're on the 2025. Before you know it, you're six classes ahead because we've moved up the time calendar so many, so many times. And you're going to get to a point where a kid commits in December, you know, almost 24 months before a signing day. And then somebody flips them because he was committed for two years, but it didn't last. And so you're going, man, that kid should have the ability to, to, to sign on January 1st if he commits on December. So I, I get it, but that's also coming from a place of a, of a person who would rather not have to deal with flipping rumors for six months after you've got a guy committed. So I respect it, but I don't, I don't know if that's. Maybe it happens, maybe it doesn't, but I, there's not, for me, there's not, there wasn't a lot of validity in that statement because of where it's all, it's not coming from a place of these kids know where they're at. They should be able to sign. It's coming from a, we have this kid locked down. Can we please put his pen to paper before somebody tries to steal him from us? Like with guys like Can, cause they're, they've been a victim a last couple of years on signing day, losing guys. And they've all typically from the, from the defensive back room. If Terrence Brooks would have signed in December, in July, then you don't have that issue. If Can Lee would have signed in July, you don't have that issue. So it's a, there's a, I, I kind of would push back on that, that idea for that reason alone. I think the calendar is in a weird middle spot right now. And so that yeah. solution is like move it earlier. But like my solution is move it later, move it back to what it was. Like let the season play out and then yeah, let's do it in February. I, I don't think that's an outrageous thing. And then the thing that people have always suggested along the way is like, just get let kids sign if they want to sign. Why does it have to be one day? Here's your commitment. Here's your offer. If you want to sign it, sign your letter of intent right now. It's binding. And now if a coach gets fired or position coach leaves, mm-hmm. that opens back up. But as long as the people that you are signing with are still here, you're now committed. We're committed to you. You're committed to us. Maybe some kid is ready in July. Maybe some kid's mm-hmm. ready in September. Maybe a kid's ready. Why does it have to be a, a day? So I, I think, you know, Pantone didn't talk about that. I think that's something that that's come up along the way um, as well. So, all right, I, I think it's always good to get a handle on the state of recruiting in college football. It remains in flux. This does not feel like the final answer. But, again, I would go direct people to Nathan's story, Stephen, I don't think it's blowing smoke. I think Ohio State has been not confused, but uncertain about how to go about this at the beginning of NIL, and they've been frustrated as a result. And they believe, it doesn't mean it's going to work, but they believe they've gotten a better handle on this. So I think it's possible we will look back on 2023, and it's kind of like a, oh, remember that class when, there were four guys you thought you were going to get, and you didn't get them because of NIL, and then it just won't be that way, quite that way again. And I think for Ohio State fans, that's that's what they want to hear. Now, if that comes with having a lower-rated class, having more developmental guys, that also might be a reality. But I hope we've outlined for you that that doesn't necessarily mean that Ohio State will be a worse football team as a result, but they've got to have it. They just, they have to have a better plan than they did this time around, Stephen. I think we know that. And I think they know that. Yeah. I think they got punched in the mouth and now they have to find, they've had to find a way to respond to getting punched in the mouth. And with the whole recruiting rankings thing, I just think what it's going to do is put guys like myself in positions of having to provide context of why we're taking, why, why your favorite team is taking the number 400 player in the country at the time. And then, we get the signing day and maybe he's higher or lower, but you'll go, 
there's going to be times when I'm going to go, see, this is why he's now the number 75 player in the country when he was the number 400 player when they took him. This is why. There's going to be a lot more situations. It's going to be less less situations where it's like, oh, they took the number three player in the country. Woo, yeah, Ohio State. And more situations of having to actually provide context. Now, there's still going to be situations where they take the number two player in the country, i.e. Jeremiah Smith, because Brian Hartline is still Brian Hartline. And there are positions where that's important. Why? Because of how the way this offense works, it's probably important that they go get the five-star quarterback and the five-star wide receiver. Defensive end and cornerback, there's still always going to be situations where we're going, where's your five-star? Because those positions are just so important in football. But there also are going to be some spots where if they take 275, that's okay. It's not a talent problem. It's not an inability to go get the number 64 player. It's just where they decided to put their time at based off – feedback they got when they first initiated conversations with the number 64 player versus when they initiated contact with the number 275 player. All right, go read more about what we've been talking about, other things about the Ohio State Buckeyes. Again, still a lot of content churning out of the conversations last week. You can find that, as always, at cleveland.com slash OSU. A reminder, the College Football Survivor Show is now going to two free shows a week. It used to be one free show and one paid subscription show. We're ditching the paid subscription to free college football survivor shows next week. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any episodes of that. And of course, we welcome you as a texter here for Ohio State coverage. Sign up for a two-week free trial at 614-350-3315. Let's put this on the record very quickly, Stephen. Who do you have in the Super Bowl, Eagles or Chiefs? Ooh. I'll pick, pick the Chiefs. Pat Mahomes gets his second one. I'm picking the Chiefs. I think... I think there is a misevaluation of both teams based on the fact that the Eagles beat a San Francisco team with no quarterback and the Bengals are really good. And Patrick Mahomes was playing on a high ankle sprain that he probably should have been playing on. And he's had Mm -hmm. two weeks to rest. I find it odd that the Eagles are favored. I think it is potentially a significant misevaluation. I think the Eagles have had a fairly easy path to this. It's not that they're not a good team. I think, think people maybe have forgotten how good the Chiefs are. They don't have mm-hmm. the dynamic receiver that they did with Tyreek Hill, but I think they're one of the better defensive teams that the Eagles have faced. I think Kelsey, Travis Kelsey will have a huge game, and I think Kansas City is also going to be able to run the ball a little bit. I know the Eagles have a good pass rush. I actually think Kansas City like by two scores, potentially, and it's just not where it is right now, and I'm, I'm just... It feels like people have bailed on the Chiefs in a way that I think is... is is the wrong read on the matchup. So anyway, let's see what happens. We'll be back on Monday with another Buckeye Talk for now. For Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>